This is the Gospel Revolution. Since you're knocking on the door, you're begging to come in, yeah. Unaware that all the wild love's been knocking from within. You are the love you see. A perfect yet unique Here's the founder and president of the Gospel Revolution, Michael Lilborn Williams. Hello, Daniel Thomas Rouse. How are you today, my friend? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And I just can't hide it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, next week is our conference. And I just can't hide it. I think I'm about to lose control. And I think I like it. Oh, man, we've got to get you caught up. Uh, this conference coming up, we expose ourselves to the world. Oh, I didn't say that right. We leave our clothes on and we expose to the world. About the world. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think that's a little better. <laughs> a little more complicated, but I think just we expose ourselves to the world is fine. But <laughs> I, I started to say we'd get more viewers, but nah, at, at 72, nobody's going to look. <laughs> I don't even look myself anymore. Jesus. <laughs> And I don't know how you get us off on these things. I just don't know. <laughs> it's just amazing. I, you know, when you get older and wise like me, these things won't happen this way. <laughs> That's just because you're you're manifesting. <laughs> I haven't manifested yet. Uh, yeah, people are wondering whether it's a demon manifesting or a, <laughs> or a uh, angel or a son of God. <laughs> and you know what? I really don't care. <laughs> uh, so, yes, it is a an incredible conference coming up. And if anybody ever messed up advertising that upcoming conference, you just heard me do it uh, in spades. Daniel sitting there with this nice, bright red face, just uh, uh, uh doing what he can with all of this. <laughs> uh, th th this really was a, um, uh, as you guys know, it has been recorded. It's in the can, as they say. Uh, was I supposed to say that? Oh, well, the cat's out of the uh, bag. Yes, so. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> this really is quite amazing. This full revelation, if you will, is really full uh, statement. I think this conference developed out of a statement I made about three months ago, two to three months ago. Uh, without creation, there is no salvation. Mm. Uh, I think that's what kind of rounded the corners of this one out and gave us the uh, paradigm to see and what we're looking at. We have, uh, there's a lot of opinions out there, folks. Sometimes as I'm sitting here at home and I'm, you know, flipping through, I, I'm a uh, dull documentary type person. Although some of the things that's, uh, that I 
watch are uh, quite fun and entertaining. You just begin to realize over the period of history, all of the mindsets, all of the goodness gracious, the different ways that people have thought about things. Huh? I was watching uh, one last night, a Ken Burns, of course, uh, uh, about the the West. And uh, he took the history of the West, which most Americans don't look at the West through any view other than us and Meriwether, uh, Lewis and Clark uh, made their way out West and voila, they found California. But, you know, the West was being developed from the shore in before that ever happened. And actually, all of the cities, which were Catholic monasteries, uh, like San Francisco. Do you know San Francisco? That one was founded the same year that the United States uh, uh, became uh, a country in 1776. Mm. So I just never had that concept of a eastward uh, development of the western part of this continent. My goodness, then, of course, then the savagery from the West to the East of the different types of the native tribes, but it was the same story, and they were greeted uh, very warmly, actually, and uh, then gave them the chance to repent and accept Jesus and get rid of their gods, or they could die. They burned more than 200 of them. Christians uh, burned more than 200 people who would not renounce their only things that they had worshipped for all of their lives. And you just begin to realize how overwhelming it is, the persuasions that people have had that don't know anything about the Bible, don't know anything about anything. And it sometimes makes you wonder, what did the cross do for everybody that didn't know anything? Did it affect everybody, even whether they knew anything or not? It becomes daunting to think about uh, sharing what you're sharing. Uh, I, I take this very seriously. Daniel and I, as as goofy as I drag him into things, Daniel's purpose, the absolute critical seriousness of getting the understanding of this gospel out to people. So anytime I'm watching something like that, it it is t- to help me readjust or add to my perspective uh, because it's a big world. Uh, it was one that either was created or it evolved. And so we go into all of that in this conference. Um, we don't go into how California was for- uh, founded. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you got a part of that history today. The amount of information that we found about creation, there's there's two points to creation. There's two points that uh, were laid down that uh, Daniel and I were able to unearth and follow it through. Two points of, uh, of evolution, actually, that we found. One was the evolution of the planet itself and then the evolu- uh, evolution of humanity uh, also. And so we go through all that. We try to match it up uh, with the creation story. 
And uh, then what relevancy does that have to the cross and to our lives today? You know, if it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't mean anything. I have no interest in just arguing I'm right and you're wrong or, you know, let's, let's let me be wrong and we'll go with you for a while and uh, see where things go. But it's an issue of, in my mind, correctly or incorrectly, that creation and salvation are inexorably tied together. That's, that's was what I came away from this conference with and what people are going to be listening to. Yeah, so that is coming up next weekend, March 8, 9, and 10. And uh, make sure you are following us on Facebook and subscribed on YouTube at Gospel Revolution 1. And uh, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. You can go to gospelrevolution.com and subscribe to that. Uh, this is these are the places where the conference videos and sessions will be released as we go from creation to creation to creation. That's uh, creation in Genesis one one, creation after the flood, and then into the new creation. And uh, mark our word, you are not going to want to miss mm. it. It's going to be great. So uh, set some time apart next weekend. Uh, to enjoy these videos, and uh, we hope that they will be as beneficial to you as they were for us in bringing salvation to our soul. And we do promise you that there will be information in these that you have not heard before. Mm. Uh, it really, uh, and even since then, as always happens, uh, we will have to do a follow up to the conference because yeah. so much information has just cascaded down upon us that we uh, I certainly didn't know I didn't know it was in in the Bible I there's things there's things in that Bible I didn't even know <laughs> well I'll be <laughs> <laughs> Michael um speaking of examination and such um we talk a lot about um the aforementioned <laughs> and I saw a post this week and I shared it with you and we thought it'd be appropriate to kind of discuss this a little bit. Um, this is a post by Francois Dutoit on the Mirror Study Bible. And it's talking about this issue of the blood. And if you've followed our teachings here at the Gospel Revolution, you have heard us talk about the ideas that some of the other groups present uh, about the blood of Jesus, um, you know, that it was just another human's blood and Carlton Pearson called it a bloody mess and mm -hmm. the total almost disregard for what Christ did at the cross. And to, to show us, to show you that we're not just making this up, we wanted to read this post to you so you can get an idea of what is being presented. As we were preparing for this, you know, Michael, you made the comment about, you know, it's not our intention to be argumentative and to try to be right and, you know, just say how foolish this is. Really, why do we share these things is we really want to help people. We want to help them live in freedom and enjoy the freedom. And we know that by honoring the Hebrew scriptures and the story as it is told, and it was portrayed and as it happened uh as written in the hebrew scriptures and as we see that unfold into the new testament writings as well 
that it's so important that that story, that message, those prophecies, that law was all divinely orchestrated. And by understanding that story in the order that it happened, it really does bring salvation to the soul. And we wonder if what they're presenting really does that. From what we have seen in many times is it almost does the opposite. This writing that Francois did, uh, it's always uh, interesting. Many times Francois gets asked these questions along with the other guys. And they normally will tell you, read a book, uh, you know, listen more. Uh, we have people who, uh, who ask us questions and them questions both. And we're, I'm talking to two or three of those right now. And they have told me that they're, one of the differences in asking us questions about what, or, uh, about what we've said and to clarify is that we actually do respond and we try to look at the uh, scriptures for the answer. And uh, these guys have reported uh, to me that the response that they're getting from the others is that they either just delete the threads once they realize that the questions are coming at them that uh, – with great questions about the validity of what they're saying mm-hmm. and not just explain to us, you know, how great and mighty your teachings really are. Uh, but um, so we do, we, uh, we do want to answer the questions because we don't have anything to be afraid of. There's nothing. Uh, uh, so what is your greatest fear? You might be wrong. Yeah. Uh, folks, when your greatest fear about your teaching is that you might be wrong. You are no longer a teacher. Uh, You're just simply someone who is trying to promote your idea and uh, usually trying to, um, in many cases, trying to sell books or whatever. But the issue of just getting angry because somebody is asking you questions if you can answer the question, why would it make you angry? Mm-hmm. I, I don't get angry even if I can't answer the question. I mean, <laughs> now there's people's attitudes that, of course, that are upsetting. And uh, one thing that we don't do is once people begin to insult and call people names and stuff, we just we we do stop those. We do delete those threads. Because this is not a place. That's one thing I'm really disappointed in Facebook with. And we've drawn back our participation in Facebook and trying to get most of all of our uh, interaction done with um, YouTube. YouTube. Thank you very much. And uh, also, of course, our our web uh, page at gospelrevolution.com. So uh, that's where we're trying to. Uh, send all of our information and the people who are asking and our interaction with others is to those uh, mainly. So this statement, uh, when we get a statement such as this from Francois uh, and things that we've gotten from the others also, where they come right out and state what people have asked them and they've avoided before. 
And then finally, it's just like, okay, I'm tired of being asked. I'm just going to say it right straight forward. And they, and then they do it. And we really appreciate that. Uh, so this is another one. This was just uh, came up this past week. So Daniel, I looked through it, uh, trying to find what, as you said, trying to find what is the value. Where's value in this? What is this about that would bring an understanding of the gospel that could lead to uh, anything positive? So here it is, uh, Francois Dutoit, and he titles it Peace on Earth. Pleading the blood isn't a Bible-based formula taught by the apostles. What makes the blood of Jesus most powerfully significant is in what it communicates. Unlike the idea that the ultimate, most expensive sacrifice would perhaps persuade deity to look differently and favorably upon sinful humanity. This is not deity getting even with humanity in the typical language of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth judgment. This is deity reconciling humanity to themselves. Jesus did not do what he did to reconcile God with us. This is Father, Son, and Spirit clothed in human skin, lovingly and willingly going to the gruesome extreme of a ridiculous, unfair trial by a human court, and the scandalous execution of innocent life, in order to persuade us most convincingly of their priceless esteem of us and their relentless love for us, and to forever rescue our minds from every definition of unworthiness and condemnation and every sense of separation. In the broken, bleeding body of Jesus, the incarnate engineer of the universe, willingly dies humanity's death at the hands of his own creation in order to redeem our minds from the plague of sin consciousness that left us distanced and indifferent for ages and generations, stuck in the wilderness of our self-help religious and survival programs. So reading through this, the thing that made me, the one question that came to me is, so uh, now that he has saved us from this fallen mindset, what's different? Mm. There is nothing different based on Francois's definition that the big problem on earth was a fallen mindset. And so if that is what happened at the cross, let's go along with the thesis here. If that's what happened at the cross, then to what point is that going to help or has it helped anybody? Has the cross helped anybody? Has the cross done Mm -hmm. anything for anyone if that is the problem? Now, I can't say that the cross has done anything for anybody. Let's talk about the Indian tribe uh, on the West Coast or even the the crazy Spaniards who had uh, misunderstood the work of the cross to the the farthest extreme uh, in the other direction. Did it help any of them? 
know would saying, oh, well, there's no such thing as sin and never has been. There was just this, there was this quinky dink that happened along the way. Would that have helped either side of this? I just don't see where it would have at all. But had these people known, it's strange that the default, even about these people, these these tribes uh, around the world that have evolved in civilizations, their civilizations have evolved, I should say, uh, they still have this thing about appeasing and pleasing God or the gods or under punishment of some kind, regardless of what they are taught or not taught. So uh, the only thing that I can see that's going to help them is a gospel, what is called in the scriptures is called a gospel. Uh, The gospel is that there was a God who was angry, but now is no longer angry and explain why he is no longer angry. The idea that's presented here in the fact that it just dealt with the sin consciousness and the redemption that took place was not the redemption of mankind, but just the redemption of our mind. Yeah. That all comes and and paints this picture that sin really was never an issue. Sin was never really a thing. It was only uh, the way that we thought. And because of this thought, there was never any separation between man and God, which the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures tells a different story than that. That man never truly was condemned by God, and the Bible tells a very different story than that. That man was never unworthy, and the Bible tells a very different story than that. And Michael, in the comment section here, uh, Francois quotes out of uh, his Bible, the Mere Bible, out of First Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, that part of it in it that we were redeemed with the priceless blood of Jesus. But in the comment section about that, he makes this statement about the Lamb of God freed our minds to rediscover his image and likeness in our skin. And I think that is a really big difference between what a lot of these guys are teaching compared to the gospel that we teach here at the Gospel Revolution is that man is not in the image and likeness of God. Man was Adam and Eve, and those prior to the cross were made in the image and likeness of God. But we, in the new creation, a creation of being that has never before existed, before the cross, uh, we are the image of God. There is, uh, There was a separation of beings, if you will. You had humanity and you had deity. Uh, the new creation, there truly is no separation. Man and God, humanity and deity are one. The issue of being in the image of God, it is everywhere. Everybody has an opinion. And whether it's Francois' Mirror Bible or Calvin or, goodness, I remember the Fines Jennings Dake Bible, goodness gracious. The, no matter what they are, no matter what the religion, it seems that nobody has read that we are no longer in the image of God. I remember when they first started trying to get that across to me 
probably at least 40 years ago, that the whole goal was to get us back to the garden. Mm. And uh, there was something about that that has unlearned, and uh, uh, as I was about uh, the scriptures or anything spiritual, I'd certainly thought about it all my life that I could think of. There was something just incoherent about that if what Jesus died to do was to get us back to the garden, and what we were learning was now going to get us back to the garden, because they, even before I understood what Don was so very good at teaching, before I uh, got to that point, I began to uh, uh, realize that if we get back to the garden, we're just back in the same position. Uh, let's say that we're back to the very best of the best of the best, that, that, and, and we're even a little bit better than what we were. Uh, we're still, uh, we're just going to be bigger failures. Whatever mm. the failure was, we are still going to do the same thing. And what does that mean? Does that mean we just get to run around with our clothes off or, you know, what, what is the big deal about getting back to the garden? Does that mean we've got to get rid of our radios and our electronics? And what is it that we are trying to get back to? They will point to this time when God came to walk with man in the cool of the day. But that's not what we have in an understanding of the gospel is that we're, as you've said already very clearly, that we're not in the image of God. We are the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. We are one. There's no, uh, was there ever division between God and man? Yeah, well, yes, that's the way God created man was in uh, what I described in a teaching two or three years ago as an asymmetrical relationship. You can't create something in your image and it be exact, be you. It is an image of you. And uh, how that all of creation was asymmetrical to the other parts of God's creation. And um, uh, in that asymmetry, that what people had been looking for, even uh, that's why we built buildings. Uh, that's why we try to stay in out of the cold and try to try to you know go to someplace cool is because our planet is asymmetrical to its own environment. So uh, we have to make up for that because we would not survive on the planet that we are here to survive on without shelter, without. Uh, some of these, well, let's just stick with shelter. Without shelter, people would not survive on this planet. Just, they just would not. This issue of the identity and then just the, the fallen identity, it's the only thing that they see that has taken place. The thing that strikes me, though, probably the most about this is this, uh, uh, again, uh, you know, Francois is a poet and he is a romantic. So when he says something, he says it in the most dynamic way. And uh, uh, how was it he described Jesus as being the creator 
Yeah, in the broken, bleeding body of Jesus, the incarnate engineer of the universe. And now, uh, who told him that Jesus was the incarnate engineer of the universe? Is it not the very same scriptures that he says got it all wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a head spinner for me, and it should be for you also. Now, I... I I'm fine with Francois calling Jesus uh, what he is because Jesus, uh, it, it very point blank says that without him was not anything created that was created. But that's out of the very same verses that declares the gospel of peace, that a once angry God is now no longer angry anymore. Mm. So we openly admit there's parts of this we don't understand. We've uh, uh, we've made it very clear that from what we can understand that the New Testament writers disagreed with each other. We've tried to ferret those out and show why that we think they disagreed with each other and by their own statements, not by our own insights, but by what they actually said to and actually said about each other and called each other by names. I mean, that, they name names here, folks. And all of them had this great confidence, including Jesus, about the scriptures that does call Jesus this, uh, the creator of all of the universe. But it is the very same scriptures that talk about this reconciliation. I, it is amazing that uh, one could take this statement about that he did not have to reconcile people at all and then call him the uh, immaculate, perfect creator of the marvelous, wonderful, great creation of all things. Where did you get that from, Francois? Uh, who told you that? Who told you that he did that? Then if you found that someplace, doesn't that give credence and credibility to the rest of the writings, or do you really, really, really have the right just to call the rest of it those old Jewish writings, as uh, we've heard Francois describe the Hebrew scriptures? There's nothing here that is an anchor. There's nothing. There is an idea by Francois, and that is a fallen mindset. Now, there's a whole group of them out there, and then they don't agree with each other. Goodness gracious, um, Don Keithley invited uh, Francois down, and they haven't spoken of each other since. Uh, and uh, during that visit is when uh, Francois came to visit my house, and Don Keithley was invited to come along on that trip, and uh, Don declined to come on that trip with Francois uh, for whatever reasons. Uh, he didn't need a reason. And uh, Francois told me the detractors that he had there when he spoke at Don Keithley's church, which Don still had a place to, to, to meet. I don't know if they rented a room or what they did. But during this time that we sat there, now I obviously, and I let Francois know, I had not read through it, but we uh, certainly have used the, some of the comments 
uh, from his uh, Bible. This was uh, uh, it was a wonderful meeting for me. I was just thrilled that there was a Bible being written that said God was not angry. That's that's all I knew at the time. Now Francois told me that he had several books on his list of things that people had given him to read, and he told me uh, with a, a beautiful smile on his face and one of acknowledgement. And he said, Mike, I chose your book to read on my flight from uh, South Africa to uh, here. But during our conference, our our conversation, which had to be between uh, somewhere between two to four hours, because uh, we hung out quite a bit. It was beautiful weather outside. We stayed out back our time. Uh, There was not one point where he uh, now, I did go through and explain to him the point where I had come to understand that God was no longer angry and that what an amazing thing that was because I'd never heard anybody say that a that God, uh, who was once angry, was no, uh, no longer angry and that Jesus took all the wrath and the anger and the judgment. I did express that to him. And there was not a question for me about that. There was, we had no, I had no clue what was uh, actually in Mirror Bible. We had a great time. We just had a a good time. It was friendly. He and Lydia are wonderful people. And I drove them back down to their hotel. Uh, I think they had brought an Uber up to the house. And uh, then I drove them back down to the hotel that night. It was just a a wonderful, wonderful time. But we never addressed the issues of this. Had I had I read Mere Bible, I think my comment would have been, uh, would have, my question would have been, how is this any different than the Mormon Bible that has an idea that is inserted, and that idea is carried out throughout and is called a Bible uh, because. There, there is no translation in mere Bible of the Bible. There is not one. It just does not exist. I went to the last ICFM meeting. That's the International Convention of Faith Ministers. Um, this was a, a meeting of all of the ministers from around the world that came in. And this was the association that I was um, uh, connected to with my dad and mm-hmm. through our churches and different things. And we go annually for a conference. And uh, at the same time, I'm enrolled, uh, finishing up my doctorate with uh, Life Christian University. We had the president of that uh, university was also on the board of ICFM. So we're at this conference and in the Bible school and now at the conference, uh, this president is uh, promoting the Mirror Bible. And I had already had my copy. I've been teaching out of it. I was excited about it because it was presenting an idea that the work of the cross was inclusive for everybody, um, not just believers and different things. And so I remember the president was standing up in front of the people and he was promoting this Bible and he actually had a whole table full of them. And I believe he was just giving them away. You know, if you want them, you, you got to get yourself a copy. So. So you got to get a copy. So he was giving these away and he made a comment to all of the pastors sitting there. He said, now, he said, when you start reading this, you might get the idea 
And I don't remember the exact words that he used, if it was uh, universal salvation or the fact that everybody was saved or, uh, you know, that the work of the cross applied to everybody, regardless of your belief system. Uh, however, he worded that. He said, as I was reading, I was getting the idea that that's kind of maybe the persuasion of Francois and the message that he was giving. So I called Francois and I asked him if this is true, that this is what the idea that you're presenting. And uh, he answered that question to the president and he said, no, that is not the message that I'm preaching. And I think Francois is very much preaching that message. <laughs> I've heard him say it, you know, that this is for all of humanity. And, you know, I think you could get in and argue the line of, well, what is salvation and yada, yada, yada. But I think Francois really understood. I, I mean, you'd have to be really blind to not understand that question yeah. that he was asking uh, and just blatantly just said no to that. And it, I remember sitting there thinking because I was already of this persuasion. I was already, you know, on my exit out of Christianity, understanding that the work of the cross was for everybody and seeing that in the mirror Bible. And that's why I love the mirror Bible. And that's why I was teaching from it because it was another affirmation of what I was seeing in the Bible. And I remember thinking at that moment, I thought, well, you know, it, yeah, we'd wonder why why he answered that way, why he did that, and why he hid, you know, but it just seemed kind of it seemed kind of sneaky to me. Well, you know, there's an old saying, uh it's been around an awful long time and boy, I watched it played out. I know this others has. Uh others have also and that is the ends uh justified the means. Mm -hmm. And um uh, as we uh as a you and I and all of us studied so many of these ministries. Uh, a lot of them, uh, we did find out that they so believed in the healing ministry, we hope that they did, that they would actually put plants, uh, that what, ne what was needed was people's faith to be energized. And they would put plants in there and people to roll up in a wheelchair and say, I haven't walked in, you know, 20 years or whatever, and then rise up and be healed. And they'd get up and walk and dance and do the jig. And that way uh, it uh, mobilized people's faith. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can become so persuaded that what you need is so valid. It happens in politics all the time. Uh, people will just out and out lie. Uh, sometimes because politicians are just liars. Uh, uh, I didn't say that out loud in this election year. Did I? <laughs> uh, not just because people are liars, but some people are so persuaded that their position is so right that lying, manipulating, deception, and all of the things that it might take to get people to arrive at the point in which you believe is right is all justifiable. Yeah. Uh, now, I am not of that persuasion because I have one little problem. I could be wrong. <laughs> and uh, if I start creating situations and telling lies and misleading things 
just so that I can get people on board with what I'm persuaded is the truth. Uh, what I have done is I have cut off my own means by which I might be correct in my own persuasion. You should never get so smart that you have to trick people into arriving at your position uh, by lying to get them there. Because the lies that you tell may be the questions that you need for yourself. It happens all the time, way more than what uh, people would ever want to uh, even think happens. But uh, it's, it's a confirmation bias. It's another way of working in confirmation bias. Uh, gosh, I've told you stories and could still tell you more uh, about the people who died after they disagreed with me. The uh, people who were in car wrecks after they dis dared disagree with me. Uh, but I don't tell those stories because I do not want them to be used to affirm that somehow that God is on my side. And uh, to what point would that help me while I'm out uh, teaching the gospel of peace anyway? God's not angry with anybody, but if you mess with Mike Williams, but these stories are very real. And um, uh, the heartache, I, I, uh, I, I can, uh, Daniel, I, I don't know if people can uh, hear it. I try my best not to allow this to affect me. I have come to a point where that there's just so, there's so much out there. It's always been this way, but I'm trying so hard to keep my mind and my heart open to uh, what the truth is. And it just seems as though there's just not many people who seem to be absolutely set on knowing and understanding truth, even if it costs them everything. Uh, there's been a lot of people who've, who've done that. One of the big differences is are you giving up your life because of what you're persuaded is the truth? There's been a lot of people give up their lives for things that were total lies. One of the things that, as we've uh, shared this with you pertaining to these situations, is that you can feel you're so right that even being dishonest and lying, it is true. Francois knew what he was asking. Francois knew he was mm -hmm. asking, does that mean that everybody is included? And Francois was dishonest and said yes. Now, Francois could give us a call and say, well, I was responding to and this and that, and then standing on right leg on red, left hand on yellow. That answer is true. But, and, and all of that, I am sure, is there and would be his response. But the fact is, Francois knew what he was asking. Uh, Francois is not uneducated in these things things about uh, where uh, Christianity is. His book was being advertised. And uh, this meeting that you're, you're talking about, I was in either of those uh, back in the 70s. I don't know when their very first meeting was. I remember going to Tulsa for the meeting. 
I remember speaking at the meeting, but that's all I remember about it. I remember different people that later on became somebody, and uh, I, but I didn't know who they were at the time. I was traveled around with Norval Hayes, and that was uh, about it. And all of these people were, you know, new and upcomers. They, uh, Rama had just started, and uh, all of this was going on. But I do remember being in one of those meetings, and I like to say I can't remember now if it was the first one or the second one. And uh, I remember the building very well. Uh, it was one of those um, coliseum, stadium type uh, atmospheres at a at a university or something there. We could have been at one of the ministries. I don't know. But to say that Francois, Francois did not know what he was asking and then respond the way that he did, that's just not being completely honest there. But does that, uh, so Michael, you're calling Francois a liar. No, I'm telling you that people can be so persuaded that they're right, that the ends justify the means. If what you are saying is truth, uh, the truth will stand up to honest answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it really will. The truth will stand up to honest answers. And again, I, my, the mirror Bible is, uh, for me, when it comes to gospel and its understanding or revelation of the gospel, its value is about on the same level as the Mormon Bible to me. There is no gospel in it. So these are our observations of these statements, and um, we welcome any feedback, any comments from anybody um, with this understanding, with this persuasion. Uh, As we said from the very beginning, we just want to have the conversation. We want to talk this through. We want to try to understand where it's coming from. Um, I, I think Michael said this a few times in um, regarding the statement is where is this stated that Christ died to take away the sin consciousness and to change our mind? Where is that stated? Where is that in the Bible that tells us that this is what Christ has done? If, if Christ came and, and redeemed our mind and saved us from sin consciousness. Who was the one to stand up and say that in the Bible? Were there any of the apostles? He started off by saying, this is not what the apostles taught. Did the apostles teach this other doctrine that your mind is saved and you are now free from sin consciousness? And that is the purpose of the death, burial, and resurrection. Did any of these apostles teach that this was just a human court and God was not involved? outside of being in, in Christ. Um, that, so those are some of the lasting questions that we have on that is, is where is it written? Where is it taught? Where is it spoken? Yeah. And how can it be that it is so well articulated that Christ was uh, without him, not was anything created that was created without him. How can that be so right? And then the rest of it be so emphatically uh, wrong. And uh, without any hesitation of saying it is wrong. And do they really uh, do they really embrace that he is the creator, him being the creator, his genealogy, his genealogy goes from Adam to Mary. 
his genealogy is in this same book. And Adam is called the first man that God created. Uh, do they really accept that? Or is he just metaphorically uh, the, the creator of all things? I made this statement uh, decades ago, and it's something that I've never moved from. I've considered uh, all of these issues. This statement got stuck in my head uh, decades ago, and uh, it has stayed there, and that is the term prehistoric. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized there is no such thing as prehistoric. Not on this planet. But the dinosaurs, no, no, they, they are a part of history. They are in, they are in the scriptures. Well, the, 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 the earth, the earth is, is, oh, no, no. We are, it is explained to us that in a six day period of time, uh, that of 24 hour days that God created the heavens and the earth. I think that's the way it reads, isn't it, Daniel? Yes, sir. We are going to be completely upfront with you. This I've I got my Bible. It's right here in my hand. It is what I says I is. It, 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 it I do what it says I do. I uh, but what I have here is uh, in relationship to God and the existence of this planet and the human race. I have the entire history of the world here. There are events that are not recorded in here, but there is not a place of historical uh, event that did not take place somewhere in the identifiable process of this thing that was laid out. If it is not for a specific period of time, why in the world would they have laid a genealogy over the top of it to track time. Mm -hmm. uh, first, we're told that time, uh, a day is a day is a day. Uh, uh, Hebrew scholars uh, let us know that that is a 24-hour period. It's even spoken of in that way. Uh, one day is 24 hours, and the, the rest of it is all spoken of in the way that it is. And uh, so, yeah, you guys have been listening to this lunatic that believes in this literal uh, misunderstood. Uh, I still don't understand all of it, but until proven wrong, uh, that's where I am and that's where we come from. And um, the, the power of finding the history of the world within these pages is is quite amazing. Ethan uh, texted me uh, just yesterday, and he said, "You know, he said Mike and uh, that I think it was uh, Joseph that they had um, uh, they had uh, uh, had him embalmed. Uh, the Egyptians uh, had him embalmed. So the embalming, all this embalming process that the Egyptians went through." Uh, they transferred that. I may be using the wrong name. All of these things that we hear about the Egyptian culture, all of that is in uh, within the context 
of the Hebrew scriptures. It's just all here, folks. It's amazing. Now that I've embarrassed everybody. <laughs> it really is wonderful. And we're going to get into a lot of that in the conference. So again, make sure that you uh, check that out coming up next weekend. Well, Michael, before time gets away from us, we want to get into uh, one of the commands and teachings of Christ as we have been on this journey now for, uh, I've lost count of what number this is. Um, we're at least into two dozen um, mm -hmm. of these commands and teachings, and uh, most of them have been here in the book of Matthew, I think all except one or two. And we are following the list provided by a specific uh, Christian organization, which we will reveal in the future. We're holding that in our back pocket on purpose. And when we do it, you'll know why. Um, but they are telling us all of these commands and teachings that we are to live by in this day and in this age. And what we have found so far in the, say, two dozen that we've looked at is um wrong <laughs> because we and michael and i had this conversation last night is we learned so much by going into these mm. things that we didn't know about them and you were part of that journey with us and a lot that we learned you were learning at the same time because we learned it recording the podcast and um what we see over and over and over again in all of these things is it's tied with biblical prophecy, it's tied with the parable, and it's tied with the teaching and the command of Christ, and all of them speak of Christ, and all of them were fulfilled by Christ. And um, we may find some that are not. Uh, we did find one that we were very clear. It wasn't a command, but it was a mm -hmm. teaching. Uh, we may see some more of that as we go on through this list. Um, but today, the command that this group wants us to follow is to take his yoke. Take my yoke. And that's uh, in Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavenly laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, everybody has sang the song. If a good old Baptist could recite this to you, the drop of a hat uh, uh, after they'd been dead in the grave three days, they could sing this. We've all quoted it. We all know that it's there. Uh, context has been one of our greatest teachers. Uh, mm. In fact, I think, uh, Daniel, I told you yesterday, uh, we have taught things about this 24 or 25 teachings of Christ, and we taught things about every single one of them that I did not know at all. There mm -hmm. are things about every one of them I knew I did not know, uh, and it's like, so, okay, so. Uh, what did we do this for? Uh, let's embarrass Mike and prove he doesn't know anything session or what? But but I truly have, I did not know. But oh my gosh, uh, has, oh, I was wrong 
ever become even more valuable to me. Mm. Um, so what we what we want to do here is everybody knows the statement. The comments about this, though, start, uh, where would you say, in about uh, verse 20. Let's go into more of this. At, that, uh, at this point, let's just back up and see what is the broader context of this. Sure. And before I read 25, just to uh, uh, mention what's mentioned in 20 through 24 is this judgment. Mm-hmm. And they're the works of these different cities are compared. And Jesus is saying, no matter if you have good works or bad works, the judgment's still coming. And then in verse 25, Jesus said, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Well, that's quite a mouthful. So let's let's back up in this uh, few minutes that we have here and uh, let these verses set the stage. Uh, Jesus is talking about the, uh, the day of judgment that is, uh, literally stated in verse 22 of Matthew 11. Jesus is talking about Mm -hmm. the day of judgment coming. He does mention specific, uh, cities and their situations, even says Sodom and Gomorrah, even as it, it, it was rough, but it's going to be, it's going to be worse than that. Uh, under the scenario that uh, Jesus is presenting here. Uh, Then he presents not just this scenario of a judgment that is coming, he is presenting to us a a relationship uh, again, again, Mm. again, 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 about a father-son relationship. Now, at this point, it is quite obvious there's only one father who has one son. Uh, you can't read this and say, oh, isn't it nice to, uh, at this point in this teaching that we are all the sons of God. You cannot say that. Jesus said that there's one of me and one of him (laughs) (laughs) and there's one of him and there's one of me. And the, uh, only one that knows him uh, and everything about him is me, and the only one who knows me and everything about me is him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a father-son relationship. A couple of years ago, got chastised very uh, uh, readily by Andre Rabe because I had complimented uh, him and Francois and the others, and you can go on and see uh, see the uh, title of the show, it was, they were right. I was, I was wrong. And pertaining to the thing that it was talking about, they did give me great clarity uh, yeah. about the difference between uh, uh, the uh, uh, being the father of sons that were born. Uh, Adam was not born to God. Adam was created by God. 
And then Adam had sons of his own, but those sons were descendants of a creation of God. But Jesus has made it very clear here and in other places, the vitally important uh, position to know about the difference between a father-son relationship and a created relationship between God and man. Uh, it was not us who established this difference, and nor is it us who have, have established what that difference means. Uh, there is uh, every indication that the between the father and the son, there's never been a moment of contention, never been a moment of uh, discord that the father and son are one. I don't do anything except what the Father says. The Father is with me. The Father loves me. The Father knows me. I know the Father. Uh, but that's not that was not you. Uh, that was nobody on earth except God the Father and God the Son. Uh, Chris Stewart, our good friend, who's uh, you know this. It's uh, wonderful to have uh, people who are searching to the degree that, uh, I mean, I, I have to try to keep up with, uh, Chris, uh, and I, I love reading through, uh, his stuff because I know number one, the sincerity of his questions and his insights are because he simply wants to know the truth. He really doesn't care if it proves him wrong, me wrong. Uh, and, and so, we have a good time with these uh, things going back and forth. And I've shared with you guys a couple of points that he has made that I think are fantastic. And uh, one of them that he pointed out was that, uh, and we shared this with you already, that in every case, Jesus referred to his relationship uh, as a father-son relationship all the way through. All the way through, and Jesus is the first begotten. Even when they were spoken about, it was that Jesus was the first and only begotten of the Father. So don't try to shoehorn yourself in there. Jesus is the one who brought you in there, and he did not shoehorn you in. He redeemed you and reconciled you into that position, regardless of this Mormon mirror Bible. How about that? I guess I just <laughs> renamed it the Mormon Mirror. Uh, uh, it's it's just I, I I'm sorry. It's just useless. It is it is useless in presenting anything about the gospel uh, to the world whatsoever. But we do have Jesus on the cross, and uh, I had to go look. I thought, now that just can't be. This is amazing. Uh, Chris told me that there was only one time where that Jesus called him God instead of calling him Abba, and that was on the cross. Wow. And uh, so I went to look, and I, I think, and I'll even ask you to look through to make sure that uh, we're uh, looking at something real. And uh, what we found out is that Chris uh, Stewart was absolutely right. And now, why would that be a evidentiary thing to know and something that would help you understand not only the father-son relationship, but also the not father-son relationship? And that is for God to 
display and carry out his anger, that father-son relationship where Christ was concerned, it, it was not, you know, Abba, Abba, why have you forsaken me? It was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So this is very much supportive evidence of what we're telling you, that something drastic took place at the cross. This minimizing, uh, minimizing, and yet uh, flowerfication, there goes another word, uh, the uh, flowerfication of language to try to make it sound uh, wonderful what happened at the cross with at the same time denying what happened at the cross is really quite remarkable. I mean, it, it, it is a remarkable thing that is attempted here, but, uh, uh, you know, no, no, no cigar. Um, then he said, take my yoke upon as, as Daniel and I were going through this. So Daniel, when he said, uh, come unto me all, is that, was Jesus saying that to people on this side of the cross? I mean, I asked such an obviously, uh, uh, stupid question because it's right there, but let's, we've got to walk through this because people have read this. At what point did Jesus say this in the progress and the progression of the story? Well, yeah, it would certainly be before the cross with the two evidences of the context is number one, judgment was yet to come. Yeah. Number two, the only one who knew the father was Jesus. Yeah. So uh, if it's post-cross, then we don't know the father yet and judgment is still coming. Excellent observation, as best I can tell. So, what is it that they would have been um, uh, uh, laboring under? What would have been this uh, uh, heavy-laden labor, and what were they needing rest from? Well, I'll tell you what I taught to my church. I said, well, you know, when life gets hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got the trials of life. You and got, uh, and uh, <laughs> you got the financial problems. Ha, uh, let me tell you today, <laughs> just come <laughs> and cast your care. <laughs> it, you know, it's the family problems. It's the work problems. It's the money problems. It's the health problems. It's yada, yada, yada. Uh, that's what I used to teach my church, that that's what they were laden with. That's what they were burdened with. But I don't think that's the context. Well, it's certainly not the context of this here in Matthew 11, and it's, it'll be worth listening to all of my yarning around for an hour for you to have gotten here. So the, the context of this burden being heavy, and, and we looked up these words, they are very impactful words, you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, I will take that from you take what from them well i I think my mind goes to the book of hebrews uh hebrews chapter four you know about striving to enter into this rest Mm -hmm. uh what were they laboring under they were laboring in the law they were laboring under the burden of sin and no not just the sin consciousness actual sin that was uh over them and the burden to Try to make yourself righteous through following the law, through 
the works of the law. Remember, it talked about works. It even praised, Jesus even praised their works yeah. and said that had your works been in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah would have still been here. So it's talking about these works, these good works that they were doing uh, in order to obtain righteousness. And uh, I think that is a very, very heavy burden to carry. Ooh. Well, knowing that judgment is coming, they used to take uh, ashes. Uh, there, there was a way to know that judgment was coming. It says, calls it the last trump in Paul's description of this. And uh, so fearful was the sight also in the book of Hebrews that uh, mm. Moses said, I do exceedingly fear and quake. The, the trumpet was, it was their text, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. it was their, you know, don't use caps uh, unless you intend to be yelling emojis and uh, the whole thing. It was, it was Morse code. It was, was the only thing that they had to communicate over long distances uh daylight or dark the they didn't have to wait until the nighttime to uh, build a fire and send a signal uh but uh remember uh paul said that if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound then the people will not know what to do mm. so uh these uh are laid out gosh there's a lot of people that's done a lot of wonderful teaching on on these things and uh, they uh, tell you what the certain sounds of the trumpet meant and what the people were expecting when they heard it. And uh, the one I remember studying uh, many years ago was about that one single long sound of the blast of the trumpet that had no change of tone whatsoever. So mm. from the moment that the trumpet Begin to sound. People were waiting for a do do someplace. Give us a note. Give us something where there's a variation in the sound of this trump that has started. Because if there was zero variations in the sound of the trump, it meant judgment from God was coming. Yeah. I think one would feel very labored and heavy laden after hearing that Trump. And uh, Jesus is letting them know, even with that, I'm going to yoke you to me. We're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is going to come, but uh, there's a whole lot of things we could use. Uh, hiding in the cleft of the rock would be a yet taking the yoke upon you. Uh, upon me, uh, learn of me, a lot of different ways that this was uh, demonstrated throughout the Hebrew scriptures. So this is not for us today. Boy, I tell you, if any, if any ministry got accused of anything, it'd be us taking away your personal feel-good gospel. But you see, I am convinced that if we can get you away from the addiction of the personal feel-good gospel, that you'll be able to embrace the uh, entirety of the inclusiveness of the gospel to the whole world, and we will see that impact. Until I can see that what the cross has accomplished 
I can see that in the person I'm looking at, I cannot sincerely say I understand the gospel unless I see its effect in you. Uh, and in fact, in everyone. Uh, there's indications that uh, Jesus made that in fact, the, uh, the way you see how this is in other people is the maximum to the degree that you are able to see it for yourself. You can't say you love God and hate your neighbor uh, comparison comes to mind because it's only to that degree uh, that you actually do have that mindset, if you will. And please don't think that we are telling you that Jesus did not die and that the result of his death, burial, and resurrection uh, is not a freedom from sin consciousness. But you must realize that every teaching done by Paul about being freed from sin consciousness is taught after he teaches about them having been freed from sin itself. You're mm-hmm. not going to find uh, Paul starting out and um, uh, with a teaching that says, now I'm going to tell you about the work of the cross. And uh, the work of the cross, uh, when Jesus died, that freed us from the consciousness of sins. Uh, and, and, and neither was that the goal of uh, Hebrews. And it literally says that the blood of a bull and a goat could take away sin consciousness and where they had no consciousness of sin for an entire year. Because why did it return? Because it could not take away sin itself. So a year later, they had to do it again because that consciousness of sin was still there. But the thing that stayed there, they were relieved from sin consciousness, but what they were not relieved from was the taking away of sin. Then Hebrews teaches us that Jesus came and he did, his blood was not that of a the blood of a bull or a goat, which simply took away sin consciousness for a year. But he took away sin completely once and for all. So what Francois' mirror Bible has done, the only difference between the blood of a goat, not only could this have been the blood of any man, this could have been the blood of a goat. The only thing that they would have had to explain is, is would have been simply an explanation, is that this works for the rest of your life. You don't ever have to do this again. And uh, their minds would have been convinced of this freedom from sin consciousness. No matter how free they were from consciousness, they still would not have been freed from sin. So when Jesus said here, take my yoke upon you. So my yoke. Now, let me refresh your memory who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Jesus just said that he is the son of the father. So take my yoke. Mm-hmm. What yoke? The yoke of sonship, the yoke of being a child, the yoke of knowing the father. For it's an easy one. It's easy. It's burden is light. And you'll find that I and the Father are meek and lowly in heart. We are gentle. Mm -hmm. We're kind. Uh, We'll bring rest to your souls. But 
And what was the heavy yeah. burden? The heavy burden was that of sin, that of judgment, that of wrath, um, that which was all summed up in this prior to the cross. Now, I think this is really wonderful because every time that I ever looked at this verse, um, and e- even up until yesterday, <laughs> um, it was always a uh, life is hard. Let me come to Jesus. Life is hard and, and he'll help me with that. But the truth of it is, Michael, and if we're just going to be honest about it, is it doesn't work. Um, all those times that we took our burdens to Christ, we still had to bear them. Uh, I cast my financial problems onto Christ. I couldn't tell you how many times. But at the end of the day, the one who was walking it out was me. <laughs> he, he threw him right back to you. <laughs> he threw him right back at me. <laughs> you know, all my relationship problems that I threw on Christ, uh, they, they, that burden never left me. But there is a burden that I eventually finally cast upon Christ, and that was uh, that of righteousness. I don't have to believe for my righteousness. I don't mm-hmm. have to work for my righteousness. I took that yoke. Again, that happened in the mind uh, where I could walk that out in, in, in life. But in the reality, I was never under the yoke yeah. of and the burden of sin or trying to find my own righteousness. And the the odd thing about it is, I mean, we've all tried to figure out what has actually happened to me. What has happened to me? I can't figure it out. I woke up different today, and I woke up different again one day uh, one day last week. Then I woke up different again the, the next day. And I, uh, there's things that are happening, and I don't know how they're taking place. But see, what's what's happening is the power of the gospel in knowing that sin and the law and judgment and prophecy and uh, the end of the world and all of that stuff has uh, been brought to a screeching halt 2,000 years ago. Righteousness has been uh, 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 br- uh, ushered in. Uh, <clears throat> that the fact that an eternity uh, a day started 2,000 years ago that will never end, this incredible uh, thing called the gospel. And yet there's something that is, we don't have to cast our burdens off on him, the ones that you talked about. They just kind of get took away. There is a, there's a substance of existence that doesn't take away the problem, but it causes the problem to show up in a perspective to where that you indeed experience that freedom from carrying that heavy weight. Yeah. Uh, my goodness, I think about all of those things that I used to cast on to Christ. I used to pray and Take take this from me, Lord. Take this burden. Help me. That I have understood that I have the re- the 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 responsibility to work that through by taking that responsibility upon myself. They've worked themselves Isn't out. That just <laughs> you weird. know. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, instead of us uh, just uh, shoveling crap all the time, uh, and I was very nice when I said that. instead of us just shoveling crap all the time we just go to sleep and somebody's been shoveling crap for us you know by the time we (laughs) get up the next day that i do have to remind myself of 
that the power of this gospel does these things in and of themselves. The power of the gospel brings a revelation of righteousness. Uh, and, and it's like I've, I've told you, gosh, folks, I know this is not working for these guys. I've heard them come on, and they're, they're so sweet. They're so caring. But it's as though worry is still a means of showing love. And I've heard them ask for prayer requests for people they love and the people that, and the, the worry is there. The, it's, it's just there. And, and that's not me you know, trying to say, yay for us, our team uh, wins. I, I would love to see people not have that. If you, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus and casting your cares and your burdens on him, you are going to be doing a whole lot of casting. You're going to be uh, doing a whole lot of uh, uh, trying to uh, get out from under the labor of that when the power of the gospel itself does all of that for you all by itself. You know, and, and, and coming to that understanding that I am, he is my father, I am exactly. the son. And, you know, that, that I'm safe, I'm in a safe place, I'm at rest. I think that's the, the crux of taking his yoke is you find rest. Uh, God worked for seven days on creation, yeah. then he rested mm-hmm. on the seventh. And my friends, the, the day and age that we live in today is that day. Uh, and age Mm -hmm. of rest for your souls, for your soul. Your soul is at rest. Um, And it's because of the work of the cross. Now, the only thing we can do now is put a pseudo yoke upon ourselves and try to do this on our own. Um, But the reality is it's already done. And so the message that we can have to you today, though this is what we're reading here, this command to take on his yoke, it's already something that's been accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross. And the only thing we can say today is put mm-hmm. that pseudo yoke down, put that fake yoke down and accept the reality that you are a son, a child of God, you belong to him and find that rest in his work, find that rest in what he has done and just mm-hmm. <sighs> breathe. <laughs> yeah. So we get through this uh, chapter. Uh, 11, which is uh, really is quite amazing. And uh, uh, Jesus got a lot of teaching uh, done. And then so you say, so what did they do after they were told about uh, being equally uh, uh, taking his yoke, that uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light? What happened after that? Uh, They went out and started breaking the law. (laughs) (laughs) that's where this always leads to (laughs) yep well you're you're kind of right because that's what happened in chapter 12 they started breaking the law Mm. and uh and that's what they got accused of i you know there's something ironic there's something funny about that because they would have taken it very seriously about you know, uh, plucking ears of corn, which starts out in chapter 12, verse one, the things that it states here that were obviously 
the breaking of the Sabbath. And then Jesus said that um, concerning the Sabbath, that wh- who's greater, the Sabbath or the one who created the Sabbath? You know? <laughs> mm, yeah, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so this, you know, this goes on. Uh, uh, verse 12, they're talking about dealing with the the sheep and whether it's lawful to do well on the Sabbath or, or not. So um, uh, it seems that getting rid of this yoke helps you to deal with uh, people trying to put you under the law. So, mm, yeah. So don't do it. Be free. Yes. Break <laughs> them laws in Jesus name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I we go uh, knowing that uh, people are mature enough to know that you know our jokes and our facetiousness is that indeed uh, we do not encourage anyone to do anything that's going to throw you in jail. Please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Michael, in conclusion on this command, uh, is there a command that we can follow today that we can somehow take the yoke of Christ upon ourselves? Uh, it's just a remembrance and a reminder that uh, his righteousness uh, is ours and ours is his. Uh, the only practice of it is a reminder of what has happened, not what can happen or will happen. That's good news. And so it is. We must leave you, family and friends. If you'd like to know anything about the gospel revolution, then call our office on 832-318-9339. And speak to us about how you want to participate. Or go to www.gospelrevolution.com and hit the connect link. You can find us on your favorite social media network, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Please be sure to hit that subscribe, share, and like button on whatever platform you are listening. Now it's good night to all of you listening and all of you listening in the year 2101, Mm. 2101. We knew you would be here. It's a good night from Daniel Rouse in the frozen tundra. And it's good night from Michael Williams right here in Clarksville, Tennessee. We love you guys. Uh, get ready for this big conference. Our pledge drive's coming up. We will be, uh, we will be reminding you of both. Uh, goodness gracious, it is just a week away now, isn't it? Yes, it is. Wow. We sure hope that you enjoyed today's PowerCast. And remember, we'll be here to do the same thing all over again next week. Only better. Since you're knocking on the door, you're begging to come in, yeah. Unaware that all the wild love's been knocking from within. You are the love you see. A perfect day you need, right?
deconstructing religion and barbecuing the sacred cows of Christianity before your very eyes. You are listening to The Gospel Revolution. 